powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy, guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Good day, planet Earth, and welcome to episode two of the Derek Duvall Show. Yes, we are back after taking a bit of a break to regroup and bring you a much better show. On this episode, we will be discussing things I have been watching, a few thoughts on life, and then we have a spectacular interview with the creator of the documentary film Shred America. So let's get this party started. Derek Duvall's favorite things. Move over, Oprah. I've got it from here. My favorite things. Well, let's get started with what am I listening to? Aside from my undying devotion to SiriusXM, I have really been reaching into my archive of 30,000 plus songs, don't get jealous, and have been hung up on listening to the soundtrack of the bizarre cult comedy classic, Young Einstein. Now, for those who may not know the name Yahoo Sirius, yes, I'm not joking, he created one of the goofiest tall tales about how Albert Einstein was a Tasmanian apple farmer who, after a serious accident, invents his famous formula, E equals MC squared, and splits the beer atom to create bubbles in beer. Yes, it's as silly as it sounds, but the soundtrack was a 1980s who's who of the hottest Australian bands and artists. The lead song from the film, Ice House's Great Southern Land, has become an almost official anthem for the continent of Australia. I looked it up on Spotify, and the whole album is indeed on there to stream. Give Great Southern Land and the song Done Things by Paul Kelly a listen. Absolute solid tracks. You can find the film on DVD, and I saw you can rent it on Amazon Prime for about $3.99. It's cheesy as can be, but it has a lot of heart, and it's just a lot of fun. This is a late edition edit I'm slipping in a few minutes before I upload this episode to Transistor FM. I was a little bored tonight and decided while I was smoking a cigar to find on YouTube Ice House playing Great Southern Land, and I was floored that they sound incredible. And man, I tell you, that's a rare thing for an 80s band. Look for the Celebrate Australia Day concert in Canberra on YouTube, and I will, of course, post a link to the video on the Derek Duvall Show Twitter page. Now back to the original broadcast. Well, I haven't had a lot of free time of late, but I did sit down and watch the fantastic and sadly completely damning and chilling documentary on Netflix about the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. Now, anyone who has known Derek Duvall for any number of years is aware of his love for all things space, be it NASA, be it SpaceX, etc. Now, having been a massive fan of NASA and a collector of rare Apollo 11 memorabilia, remembering with dread that day I sat in a school and watched the Challenger explode on live television reminds me that space travel comes with risks, and in this case... Those risks were manufactured in the form of cost-cutting, red tape, and pressure to succeed at all cost. I admired the documentarian's handling of this tragedy, but when I was finished, I was floored that they left out, for whatever reason, the fates of the seven astronauts. The crew survived the explosion. Three of them activated emergency air packs, and the crew cabin free-falling back into the Atlantic Ocean at 200 miles an hour is what actually killed the crew. 
Leaving this out felt a bit dishonest to an otherwise stellar four-part documentary. Give it a look on Netflix. Well, it's time to talk about a minor purchase I made recently, and I just don't feel like talking about this one by myself. So let's go to our boots on the ground. Derek Duvall's host of Friends. I want to welcome to the Derek Duvall Show for the first time ever, and surely not the last time, my right-hand man and hetero life mate, Money Chris from Too Many Captains, a movie podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Hey, everybody. And how is the COVID world treating you recently? Oh, man, the COVID world. Well, it's been very interesting starting to work from home. I think the cat has gotten used to us being home all the time. It's, uh, it's a little bit different. Hopefully next year get back to normal, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it seems as though the two of us have once again made an identical purchase. Uh, can you tell us what that was? It was the Full Metal Jacket 4K Steelbook from mm-hmm. Best Buys. Yeah. Now, I've watched it. You've watched it. Let's talk about the actual Steelbook. Now, this is the U.S. version we've got, and there are two, I believe, out in circulation. What did you think of the artwork so far? I really love the artwork. The It's blue. Uh, it's got the joke it's got joker on it and i guess i can't probably say joker it's uh what's it is well he's joker do you just call him private joker he's private joker and then he becomes sergeant joker i don't know if he becomes sergeant at the end i think it i think it just it's maybe unspoken later on the year i don't know but i, I uh, he's a, he's a sergeant in the in the second part when he's actually going in and doing stars of stripes okay he's a, uh He's, he's a start. Anyway. Yeah. I figured so, that long in the military, he should at least not be a private anymore. So yeah, you're, you're most likely right. Okay. He was a sergeant. It's got Joker on it with his, oh gosh, what does this hat? What does this helmet say? Born to kill. Like, yeah. Okay. And the peace symbol. It's got, yeah, it's got Joker with his born to kill on his helmet. It's all blue. There's orange sunglasses and they kind of used a reflective paint or decal for his sunglasses, but then the rest of it's a matte color. So it really sticks out. It's really cool. I think it's got to be probably the most decorative steelbook I've seen in a long time. Like they actually put a lot of effort into this one. Uh, most steelbooks over the years I've noticed have been just kind of a bad Photoshop put together. That's my personal opinion. What do you, what do you think about that? It depends on who's doing it. There's, there's some of them, they're hit and miss. Some of them are just really bad and some of them are great. I feel like Universal at least gives a damn and actually puts out a decent steelbook. But Warner Brothers, eh. Uh, Disney, no way. I, I hate the Disney steelbooks. But um, no, for the most part, I, I think uh, probably Universal, I think pretty does a pretty good job with their steels. Yeah, they, they, did, they did do a really good job on this one. I think one of the things that probably is to the detriment of some of the steelbooks is that they don't use... The poster artwork as much. Oh, no, no. I, I never understood that anymore. Movies of the 80s. I mean, you th- you think about some of the most iconic movie posters. I mean, I don't understand why they can't just slap that on the on the box. I mean, you know, everybody knows Marty McFly stepping out of the DeLorean on Back to the Future. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel with a bad Photoshop job. You know, there's, it's kind of funny. There's a Zavi did a release of Star Wars movies on the 4K Steelbooks, and they use the posters for a new hope and empire and then changed it around a little bit for return of the jedi and didn't use the same poster artwork and it's like you guys i think of all the movies that they've released i think they've gone through nine of them for the skywalker saga and they use the poster for all of them but one that's interesting probably was it rise of skywalker or was it return of the jedi No, return of the jedi that's weird um i think it might have been like it was like an off it was an off poster Mm. it's uh the return of the jedi poster i mean it's iconic i I remember the i remember the teaser poster 
which is Revenge of the Jedi, which was the Darth Vader head with them crossing lightsabers. And then there was the Return of the Jedi teaser poster, which was just, you see his hands holding a lightsaber. And then there was the actual Return of the Jedi like one sheet, which was you have Slave Leia, you've got Luke, you've got Darth Vader, um, and Han, and all that. So, yeah, I mean, the Return of the Jedi poster. I don't know why they wouldn't have used that. Uh, it's my bad. They did. They did use the. They used the Empire Strikes Back poster. Mm. It was the Empire Strikes Back poster that they that they used. But instead of using the one with Han getting ready to kiss Leia mm-hmm. and Luke on the Tauntaun, mm-hmm. that's kind of like the blue color. Instead, they use the poster that is just Darth Vader's head. Mm, interesting. I remember kind that of floating one. in space. Yeah, it's the teaser poster. So they use a teaser poster on that one, and then use the iconic Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. and, and uh, New, a Hope. New Hope yeah. posters, and it's just like completely sticks out like a sore thumb, mm-hmm. and it's it's just weird. Some of the conversations. This is probably going to be boring for everybody talking oh, about fine. steelbook artwork, but so uh, tell us now. We've watched it good. You've now you have a 4K actual 4K UHD projector. Am I right? Yes. And you've watched Full Metal Jacket in 4K on disc. Yes. Would you, have you ever seen the movie beforehand? Yes, I've seen it a couple times. I, I used to own the DVD, mm-hmm. so I was really happy to upgrade to the so 4K. Based on the DVD, did you, what what popped out of you the most about the Dolby Vision and the HDR use on the 4K? I think the most impressive parts of the movie visually were the night scenes with the fire reflection and the orange. The end. Basically, the end of the movie, the Mickey Mouse March. That one was probably the best looking. Yeah, I, that's I've heard that from most people spot. online that I follow and, and communicate with on, in terms of um, digital media, they all said that this the fire in uh, the last two minutes of Full Metal Jacket. It was just the most one of the most beautiful representations of art of uh, cinematic art they've ever seen. Now, this is the part that I know you and I are going to disagree with. Possibly, you watched the movie and you have, now you're not known for blasting your movies like I am. But did you notice any audio problems on your 4K? I did not notice any problems with the audio on my 4K. Mm. The first part with the um, the boot camp, because some movies, you know, act one, act two. Act one was fine. Music, the dialogue was all harmonic. It sounded pleasant to the ear. And then as soon as we get to Vietnam, the movie sounded like it was just hot. It was borderline almost staticky. Now, I've been on different websites to see if it's a faulty disc. And some people are saying maybe, and some people are saying no. But uh, I'm doing some more research into that, and I'll be uh, getting in touch with you to let you know how that comes about. What do you think about that? Yeah, I could see it was kind of loud on the center channel for the dialogue. Oh, it was very heavy center channel. No question about that. But I didn't hear any kind of what you're referring to is whenever you have too much gain on your microphone Mm -hmm. or you turn it up too loud or you know basically like if something's really soft and you have to turn your volume away it amplifies all the static and the noise is what you're it sounds like and that's what it sounded like i mean it got to a point now i watch my movies at on my theater which is um negative 18 decibels that's what i feel for me is reference point where i can really hear the movie the way i want to hear it now of course when i watch it with mrs duval uh, the movie goes down to 22 because her hearing is intact. But for me, when I played it at my reference level, it was just too loud. And I had to turn it down. Now, there's a joke in there somewhere. I'm going to let you go ahead and make it. 
I thought you played those movies loud. So I have a so when you were saying that you had to turn it down, was that as soon as you started the movie, or was it until you got until when we got to, to Vietnam? Acts? Yeah, when we got to Vietnam, it was just it was just too loud, and I had to I just had to turn it down. What is the farthest? What is the most unlikely complaint from a movie that you would ever think <laughs> that Derek Duvall would mention because he plays his movies loud? I didn't mention that part, but <laughs> I figured it would be you know an easy one. Yeah, sometimes you tee those up and. They just don't uh, go the distance like you hope they do. I'm interested if you find a specific point in the disc, mm-hmm. if you can find like the worst part, or if you watch part of it and you say, you know, go to, you know, one hour, 20 seconds or something like that. Go to, I'll, I'll go. tell the exact part right after the, um, the breaking of the Tet ceasefire where they, you know, where they attack the base. Yeah. The next day where they're in the um, conference room and the lieutenant is giving them the brief of like, you know, that Saigon has yeah. been split in half, blah, blah, blah. That dialogue is just, it's just so poppy. Like, it just it just sounds like it's just blown out, you know? I'll try it out. Yeah, try that again. After this. But, uh, but I will say this, though. My wife finally got the joke I make about, uh, I guess, Anne Margaret's not coming. I say oh, that yeah. whenever, I say that whenever she <laughs> hits the fan in, in our house. So um, I'm, I'm glad she finally got to hear the joke. So. Let's... Let's talk about the movie a little bit, though, right. man, because it's, on, it's crazy going back and watching this again. It's probably been 20 years. It's been at least, it's got to be at least four, three, four years since I last watched it. Um, it's the, aged, I think it's aged well minus one part. Well, and that is when um, Animal Mother gives his view on African Americans. There's, that was, there's cr- a lot that of, was cringy to watch. There's a lot of very questionable yeah. things that would not fly specifically oh, with no. the insults and whatnot. Yeah. But it is definitely, I feel like any male our age knows those insults. Oh yeah. My, I think the best one um, we were watching, obviously my, my wife had never seen the movie and I mean, she's obviously, you know, heard me say a few lines here and there, but this is our first time actually watching it from beginning to end. And the, the drill instructor, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, just going around and just throwing those insults. And I had to explain to her how he got the job and how his arm was broken the whole time. So he had to hold his arm behind his back and all this stuff. And she was just like, this is incredible. And the best part, I think the, the part that I saw her laugh the most was suck a golf ball through a garden hose. And the other one was you climb obstacles like all people. Fifty. She laughed so hard. And I was like, this is a new side of you I've never seen before. Private Pyle looks like he's just slightly overweight and they kind of act like he's 300 pounds or something and incapable of doing anything when I'm pretty sure at least now, you know, you probably have a good 50% of people going to the boot camp look like Private Pyle at this point. So I guess Vincent Donfrey. D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. So I guess he had to pay, he had to gain 70 pounds for that role. That's crazy. So he was probably, I guess if he gained 70 pounds, he was probably 230 at that point. Well, then I, I want to know how much he put on heavy. to play Kingpin. I don't know that he put anything on to that one. I think he just naturally progressed being older. <laughs> He's a, he is such a great actor, such a chameleon actor. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Vincent D'Onofrio fan. I've, I've actually got to tweet him once or twice on Twitter. He actually responded. It was, it was a pretty cool moment. It's, it's kind of amazing the career that he's had. Mm-hmm. And to think that, you know, most recently, or at least one of the most recent things that he did was Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Do you know what his highest grossing movie is? The Cell? Nope. Men in Black. Men in Black. Yeah. He was the oh. villain in Men in Black. 
the cockroach guy. Wait, that was him? Yeah. Are you sure? I swear to God. Oh, I didn't know that was... I, he looks so much, He looks so different. Yeah, that's Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh. <laughs> I guess I see it now, but... Yeah, didn't know that. Uh, the Cell, though. Holy shit. That movie is awesome. When I was when I was a captain, I would have loved to deep dive that motherfucker. That would have been cool. That yeah, that's a can you interesting imagine, movie. Can you imagine Matt what trying to watch that movie? I I don't know what would happen. <laughs> Dude, you gotta do it now, it's your golden ticket. It's been it's been a while do it. since I've seen that. I challenge you. Do it as your golden ticket next time. I have it on Blu-ray if you want to borrow it. It is it is so cool. It'll be your first horror movie you guys would uh, deep dive to. Well, thanks for joining me on the Derek Duvall Show, Money. I mean, hey, this is one of many, many appearances you'll be making. And hopefully, as things go on, I would like you to be an actual guest on the show. What do you think about that? Uh, that sounds great. I just I <laughs> you heard that. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Okay. Oh, sorry, that was me. That was funny. It's fine. We'll just keep it in there. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I want you to enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, give your missus and the captains my love. All right? All right. All right. See you, everybody. Well, that was a great deal of fun. I want to thank Chris for stopping by. Before we get to our interview, though, and take our break, I think it's time that I speak about my thoughts on life because this episode's thoughts on life is a really, really, really touchy one. And I think everyone may draw strength from it. So here we go. And now, Derek Duvall's thoughts on life. Today's Derek Duvall's thoughts on life will strike a sad tone with all of us today. As the world is very aware a few weeks ago, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg tragically passed away, leaving not only a vacant seat on the highest court in America, but also has deprived the United States of a champion of progressive women's rights. There was an article I read the other day, and it gave a list of decisions that Justice Ginsburg had authored. A few of them are so simple and are taken for granted by someone who is younger today, but so profound for someone who is more mature age. While I have long maintained and still stand by the opinion that the balance of power in the United States should not have been placed on the shoulders of an 87-year-old five-time cancer survivor, she fought to hang on as long as she could, and that in itself is just a testament to the superhero and icon that was RBG. While her celebrity became trendy in the most recent years, the nickname The Notorious RBG left her a bit shocked, she embraced the pop culture aspect of being a feminist icon, and the words I abstain have been a rallying cry for those who continue to fight a political machine that is adamant in taking women's rights back a hundred years. Who will fill that seat is still open to debate, but it is going to be a very crazy couple of weeks leading up to the presidential election. Rest in power, Justice Ginsburg. We've got it from here. We're going to take a little bit of a break right now, but we'll be right back after these messages with an interview with Arthur from the documentary Shred America. Hey everyone, I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And we do a podcast about life, love, and hot topics. We're family friendly. Yeah, well, mostly. And you can catch us every week. So subscribe to the Chris and Christine show on your favorite streaming service. And buckle up, Buttercup, because you're in for some fun. Some fun? Oh yeah, that sounds fantastic. Hi everyone. I'm Ariel Cooksey, host of Malice. When violent acts occur, we tend to think the predators are monsters. Surely no human could do such things. But if we're honest, only humans commit malicious crime. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me at Malice wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye. 
Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. We are overjoyed to be joined by a special guest, Arthur, of the documentary film Shred America, which chronicles a skateboarding trek from Chicago to New York City. Welcome to the show, Arthur. How are you? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Doing good. How are you handling the COVID-19 crisis? Uh, it's, it's been all right. I mean, uh, I've, uh, I've learned a lot of interesting new things, uh, new skills like knitting. Um, <laughs> no, nah, no knitting. But yeah, I mean, uh, I've been mostly like mostly isolating, doing a lot of like outdoor activity. In the beginning of COVID, I did a lot of bike riding through like the deserted, um, I live in Chicago, Illinois, so like through the deserted Chicago streets, which was a super interesting, surreal kind of like experience and got a lot of work done, to be honest. I was, I've been just kind of here on my computer and just, you know, kind of just brushing up on skills, doing some, uh, watching, watching some Seinfeld <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's been all right. You know, it was, it's definitely a crazy time. 2020 and now with like Donald Trump I, that he got coronavirus now it's just like I, I was up you know 5 a.m. yesterday taking my dog out and I almost you know took it and just had a spit take um, I was just like wow it's just so crazy um, wild times man I definitely uh, if you had told me on January the 1st of 2020 this would be the year that we'd be living in I would have told you you're off your nut you know it's just ridiculous 2020 was going to be I, I, you know, I kept saying, like, we're going to be reliving the, the Roaring Twenties. It was going to be great. I uh, I had my 40th birthday this year, and not a single person could come to my party, which would even end up having a party, which was quite depressing for a milestone birthday. That sucks. I would have came to your party. Oh, cheers. Thank you so much. All right, so we had a screening of the film recently. We were very, very entertained. Uh, lots of moments gave us nostalgia from the uh, early to mid-90s when uh, grunge music and skateboarding were you know, practically life for us at one point. So um, can you remember the exact moment that this endeavor that you entered uh, was realized? Yeah. Um, so basically uh, in 2008, uh, my good friend, one of my best friends, uh, Mike Koshesha, he hits me up. He had some sort of like a dream in the middle of the night. He hits me up. He's like, hey, man, I want to do something crazy. I'm like, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to skateboard from Chicago to New York City. Do you want to come with? And uh, I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Why not? And it was, that's literally the inception of, of Shred America right there. It was just Mike hitting me up at one point and uh, saying, like, let's do this. And let's make it into a documentary. Now, at the time, we were uh, we, we basically only knew, you know, two things in life, which was like skateboarding and uh, filmmaking, you know. And Mike and I had worked together on various projects uh, in our teens uh, in high school. Uh, in like our local broadcasting class and all these different things. And then we had gone off to Columbia College Chicago, which is uh, a multimedia and film uh, school, like an art school here in Chicago and downtown. And from there, uh, we basically uh, kind of like acquired just the basic skills of filmmaking. We kind of figured we needed a little bit of a crew. So we uh, enlisted the help of Tony Michael and James Lagan, two uh, childhood friends. And we were like, hey, guys, do you want to come with? Um, and they were like, hell yeah. And then we just like picked a date. So we picked June 2nd, 2008. We're like, all right, this is the date. Let's start sending out press releases. Let's uh, make this thing legitimate um, so we can't like turn back. That's what we did. And, uh, and then, you know, the rest is kind of history. We left on June 2nd. My question for you, what was the budget for this project? There was no real budget for Shred America. There... Um, it was all out of pocket. The entire film was out of pocket. Basically, we had whatever our part-time jobs were able to afford us. We probably spent, you know, a few thousand uh, on the actual trip, and then 
from there uh, afterwards, you know, there was like the production costs and stuff, the post-production costs for finishing the film, for, you know, doing the interviews, for making the score. Uh, we had a beautiful score done by Pancho Burgess, and uh, we had some additional music done by various bands, by uh, Danny Ganu, a good uh, old friend of mine. Yeah, so it, it was, it was, you know, put together with basically a shoestring budget, if you could call it that. How long have you guys been skateboarding prior to this little endeavor? We had been skateboarding for about probably a good five years or so. Yeah, prior. Who, who's, the, who's the strongest member of the group with, you know, be able to do those like Tony Hawk ch- tricks or something like that? Man, right now it's Tony. I think back then it, it might have been Tony, probably between me and Tony. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, I mean, we were all just kind of skateboard pals, except for James. James didn't know how to skate. Mm. Um he was kind of like the the smart guy of the group. He was just a really, really, really smart individual. He was just kind of a like a nice guy that we knew from knew from from high school. My first time tried skateboarding in 1992, fell off, broke my wrist, and I never ever got back on. At the time of this, what was the average age of this of the cast and crew? The average age. So basically, we were all 20 years old except for Tony, and Tony was 21. Obviously, like I said, you were you're skateboarding. Who came up with the idea for the carts? Because that was that was pretty nifty. I really enjoyed that. So that was kind of just like both of our ideas uh, for the most part. Uh, Mike and I, we just knew that we needed something to carry all of our equipment, and so that's why we were kind of like, all right, let's you know, let's get these, let's get these carts, and let's like, you know use those uh, and then mike also reinforced the carts with like or mike's dad reinforced the carts with with plywood with like five ply plywood so that was like really it made the carts really heavy so that was like a big problem on our trip it's like i don't think the guys were prepared for pulling so much weight as as we were like giving them so the carts ended up being like more of a problem a little bit than the actual you know, skateboard part of the whole the whole trip Okay, so I, this is a question. I, I showed this, obviously, to my wife as well, and she was very interested. And this one question that I have to ask. When you guys told your families that this is what we want to do, were they getting ready to call the men in the white coats, or were they completely supportive? Or Man, you know, I've been so lucky. Uh, and I think all, all of us have been, like, pretty lucky with our families just being really, like, kind of hands-off, you know, like, really, su- really supportive and just, you know, they were personally, from my personal experience, I'll speak from my personal experience, my mom was you know, worried. She never told me that like I couldn't go or that she didn't want me to go. And, you know, that's like the greatest gift that a parent can give their child, I think. That freedom, you know what I mean? And she really just gave that to me, you know? So when the beginning of the film, you guys were media magnets. People were very interested in your in, about your project. Did you ever feel as the journey progressed that the attention started to wane? Yeah, I mean, so we were kind of caught off guard by like the whole media attention on this on this trip. We really, really were. We didn't expect that like there was going to be this much interest. But we had at the time, you know, just sent out a bunch of press releases. And so back to 2008, like, you know, this was I think it was a little bit easier to like get on these various shows like Good Morning America or, you know, Fox or we're on like Oprah Radio and all these different things. But we were kind of shocked, you know, and, and actually it started picking up like the closer we got to New York because the Associated Press picked up, picked it up. And so when the Associated Press picks something up, it just like blows up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we, we thought we were stars, you know, we were like these 20 year old kids. We were just like we they were calling us around like the studios around like Good Morning America. They were calling us the boys of summer. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, yeah, you know, what's up? You know, what's up? We're the guys, you know, we're <laughs> the guys that are doing, you know. Funny looking back at it, you know, and then it, you kind of get humbled by life afterwards, you know, soon afterwards when you just like 
got to go back to your hospital, working at the hospital. <laughs> you know what I mean? One of the things I like is, like, I go back to Forrest Gump, you know, when Forrest Gump was running from coast to coast, people ask him, like, are you, running for, are you running for women's rights? Are you running for world peace? Blah, 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 blah. Did anybody ever think to you guys, like, are you doing this for a, any kind of cause? Or is it just because you guys, it's like Mount Everest because we can? That's exactly it. I mean, you nailed it. You know what I mean? It's, it's exactly, that's exactly the whole thing. It's like, we're doing this because we can do it because we're young, because we're fearless. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. When you get a little older, you get like a little fear in you usually, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're not consistent with like, like overcoming various fears, then the fear starts to creep in as you're older. You know, I gotta be careful on this ice. I don't, can't break my leg. I have my insurance is premium is too high. You know what I mean? Things like that. Yeah. And when you're young, you're not worried about that at all, you know? So it's like, it was the perfect time, the perfect moment to do it, you know, and just to like live our lives, like kind of before real life took hold of us. Obviously, watching this, and you know, you look back now, and we, in 2020, we're we're so spoiled in terms of we have high power computers in the palm of our hands. Back then, it seemed like you know you, you were relying on maps and on a very prehistoric version of GPS. Did you guys ever get discouraged? Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. So this is the big thing about about this trip is that when we were going on this trip and we were doing these like interviews beforehand, we were telling everybody we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we got the whole thing planned out. We're training. You know, we're, we're, we're all ready to go, you know, we're preparing for this, you know, like it's this big expedition and uh, we get out on the road and we can barely read this map. We don't know where, which turn we're going, what road we're going on. We kind of know what cities we want to hit, what we had to go to gas stations to pick up maps. We had to like sit down and open the map and look at what route we wanted to go on. And that's kind of what took this, took us on this maze of like wrong turns and unfortunate circumstances mm -hmm. that we like to call, you know, short America. Well, tell us about the dog incident because there was a point, number one, it was a point of humor I, on our part, but what was it like for you guys with that little incident with the canine? Completely unexpected. I mean, first of all, like it just kind of goes to show our, just how naive we are because now it's like, okay, we know like not to just go walk onto someone, someone's random property, let alone a, a farm in the middle of Indiana. Mm -hmm. You know, where the house is like placed like, you know, a quarter mile out from the street. You know, these people don't want to be people that have their houses like on a farm far away from the street. Like they don't want to be bothered. You know what I mean? These are the kind of people that like have, you know, they have some firearms. And, you know, if you're going to be coming on their property they're you know, they could they could use it if you're, they think you're a trespasser. You know, you guys were constantly challenged by the elements. Um, during the, the summer heat, did you guys ever think, you know, screw this, it's, 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 it's too much, you know, it's too big for us, let's go home? The heat for me was the most challenging. And we were, you know, the, the way that we set up the film is really to showcase that if it was like a chapter book of like what it means to travel across the country, that's like what the film would be. And so we tried to show like all of those elements of travel and, you know, you have heat, you have water, camping and all these various different things that like make the full story. But the heat was the worst for me. It felt the most dangerous, to be honest. Like, um, we went during the peak. It was like a heat wave, basically, going on in Indiana. And we were out there and just in the middle of it, you know. It just, like, ex fully exposed, you know, getting burned, sunburned. And it was just, and it just takes a, tax, a toll on your body, you know, that heat. It just, it makes you so tired. Did you lose any weight or any of you guys lose any weight over this? Is that curiosity? Uh, I, so right now I'm 155 pounds. Back then I might have been like 140, and I came back 120. Wow. So I I came back way you know way thin. 
Um, and that's eating pizza and hamburgers. <laughs> I was about to say you just got the new Weight Watchers fad, skateboarding to half the way across the country, but then you throw in cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah, cheeseburgers, pizza, soda. I mean, you can't get enough calories when you're on this. So let's talk about when you guys got to the college town in Ohio. What was it like? Was it a, was it a, a, a royal uh, welcome or? Uh, yeah, Lima, Ohio. That was kind of, kind of interesting because we weren't expecting to kind of like head into Lima. We weren't expecting to, uh, to meet someone in Lima to like put us up or whatever. And to meet someone, you know, in such a weird, bizarre way and try to get them to, you know, have us stay at their place was, was just like a really great coincidence. And all the, we call them the Lima boys, uh, they were just super fun. You know what I mean? They were just like really uh, laid back, laid back kids that just, you know, wanted to talk and they were very friendly and wanted to have a good time, you that's know? Awesome. And so that's kind of what we, what we had with them. It was a good time and it was a good memory, you know? Yeah. Have you ever been back there just out of curiosity? No, we, we've chatted with a few of the guys uh, since then. Uh, we're going to send them out a copy of uh, a film here at some point and we're hoping to uh just go one of the, one of the gentlemen uh in that scene he's uh he like races cars out oh, in indiana right. yeah he's he's a very interesting interesting guy that's um, awesome so yeah we're, at some point you know we'd love to kind of reconnect with with them but we are connected with some other people that we had met throughout, you know, throughout the trip so the next question is kind of a two-parter because i i personally I'm, i have a huge love for the city of philadelphia there's many connections I have there. The high point for the film, I think, was when you guys got to Love Park. Yeah, so we knew that we wanted to go to Philadelphia when we were on, you know, heading out heading out on this trip. Because uh, Love Park in Philadelphia is the skateboard mecca of the United States, or was. It's not what it was, you know, what it was back then. But it was very important for us to kind of, like, go there and to see a piece of skateboard history, you know. We were just, like, so excited to be there, so excited to check it out and then also just so excited to be so close to new york city you know i mean we had made it already you know probably around 800 850 miles at that point and we're just like yeah we're we're so close um and that's also kind of where like the media frenzy kind of like increased for us as well so they put up a lot of started putting a lot of pressure my next question i have to ask this did you guys make it out did you run up the rocky steps we did we did we didn't put it in the movie ah we didn't put it in the movie but we did run up the rock yeah we we did we ran up the rocky steps we had a philly cheesesteak there was like a lot of things that we had done on the trip um and experience that you know just ended up on the cutting room floor just due to time and route one to you guys looked like it was like the you know final boss in a video game how do you guys overcome that that barrier because that that was i could definitely tell it was almost like a, a brick wall for you guys man route one like i still have nightmares about that about that about route one to be honest oh wow <laughs> there's a you know it was just it's 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 just a road you know what i mean uh, to anybody else but to us, uh, you know, it, it signified something a little more sinister. You know, it, it, was a, it was like an obstacle that we just, like, did not know how to get around. And for a long time, I think, Route 1 was, like, the re- one of the reasons why Third America took so long to finish, among other things, was, like, Route 1 made us feel kind of like failures. You know what I mean? In, in our eyes. And so we... Uh, <laughs> we sort of branded the film in a way where uh, it's, you know, how not to skateboard for Chicago, New York City. You know what I mean? It's like, this is how you don't do it. And when you watch it, you know exactly how to do it because just do the opposite of us. Was it, was it kind of those things like you wanted to skate, you want to go over Brooklyn Bridge and then go right into the heart of the city? Was that the original plan? Yeah, I, I think we basically 
because the media was kind of like hounding us at the time, we were kind of like, okay, how do we get to New York the fastest? And we're like, okay, Route 1 is definitely the fastest route to New York City. It's like the straight shot, you know? So we're like, okay, we're good. we got to be back in town because we're doing all these like media dates and stuff. So how do we get to New York as fast as possible and work Route 1? And that proved to be, you know, a mistake. Um, now, if we had had, you know, smartphones, iPhones, all these different things at our fingertips, we would have known, okay, like, hey, there's a different way to get to New York. Here's the route. Um, it'd be as simple as like a quick Reddit post, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and you'd get a response in, you know, five minutes. Like, hey, just take this route and this route, make a left on uh, 54th, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, lacking technology is, is one thing, but also, you know, if we had done this trip now, it, it would be a totally different film. You know what I mean? It would, it, I don't think it would have the charm um, as like a film from 2008. Like the kind of like the nostalgia of it, you know, kind of would be gone. You reached New York City. Obviously, you know, massive relief. We've finally done it. We're, we're at the top of the mountain. What happens next? Are you, are you meeting up with, you know, Good Morning America? Are you, are you talking to Howard Stern? I mean, what, what, what happens after that? Yeah, we canceled on Howard. We didn't. Uh, we're like Howard. Sorry, man. We can't. We can't do your show, brother. <laughs> but uh, no, we we had um, Fox, New York, uh, the New York branch of Fox and CNN were fighting over who was going to get our story first. Uh, CNN, Fox, and uh, Good Morning America. And it was funny. We went with Good Morning America. We're like, we got to do Good Morning America. I mean, it's Good Morning America, right? And they had like a full segment for us. It was going to be like this, like really like uh, fancy set and everything. We're going to have a sit down. It was going to be like 15 minutes long. It was going to be gnarly, you know. And uh, we got bumped for uh, Hulk Hogan's, I think like Hulk Hogan's uh, daughter, like Brooke Hogan. We got bumped. So we got bumped the next day and we're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> and then uh, and they gave us like a weather segment. They're like, just give them a weather segment. Just give them a weather segment. So they gave us a weather, a weather segment. But um, it was really funny because I remember being in the dressing room, like right before we got bumped and we're getting our makeup, like our makeup on and stuff. It was like totally ridiculous. And Mike, uh, Mike hears that we're getting bumped by Brooke Hogan. And Mike's like, Brooke Hogan? She's not even that cool. <laughs> and like the makeup artists are like are like looking at looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> he's like, really, Brooke Hogan? You're 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 bumping us for Brooke Hogan, really? It was too good. That's awesome. So how long did you stay in New York City? Well, we were there for like maybe three or four nights. Mm -hmm. And then the big thing is like we had to get the trip done 30 days. We overstayed our visit a little bit by five. But the reason we wanted to finish this trip in 30 days is because that's the longest that our part-time jobs would hold our our jobs for. Ah. Because um, we were like, hey, like if we leave for a month, will our jobs still be here when we come back? And they're like, okay, yeah, but you got 30 days. You know, we can hold it for 30 days and you'll get it when you come back. So that was like the big sort of caveat as to why we didn't spend more time and why we were like a little bit rushed at times. That's not really covered in the film, but you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those like little side notes. How many hours of footage did you guys end up with? We came back with 90 hours of footage from the trip. Uh, we had shot and reshot, you know, interviews and and basically tried out various methods of telling the story. At one point, we were going to do like South Park, you know, anim animation type stuff to fill in <laughs> some blanks. Like we were going to do, we did voiceover for a while. We were trying to do that, and it all kind of comes with you know growing expertise as you get as you get older. Mike and I and uh, James uh, are still like heavily in like the video post production world. Mm -hmm. Tony also, you know, does does some freelance stuff in in uh, in California right now as well. 
and he takes photographs and all that all that stuff um and you know it, it all kind of comes with uh the experience basically um how long did it take to edit and obviously you we were talking about the beginning of you you had some obviously i guess you may know some local musicians or you had rights for a soundtrack can you talk about that a little bit too please yeah the big part of the journey was putting together the film you know what i mean the, a big part of that whole thing was you know it took about 12 13 years to finally get distribution to you know finish the movie to get all the contracts signed all the legal stuff you know there's just so much back-end stuff that you don't even think about when you're trying to make a movie and the editing process, you know, was kind of interesting because, you know, after Mike and I had exhausted all these different methods of telling the story, we had essentially given up on the movie. You know what I mean? We were like, at some point, you know, it was kind of just like we weren't working on it. There was not really any inspiration. And uh, I was working at a, uh, a corporate job. I worked at a couple of corporate jobs, you know, as a multimedia producer. And uh, didn't necessarily like this one too much. So I, I you know, I put in my notice and I quit. And uh, I really didn't have anything to do. So I sat down in front of the computer and started to map out these various scenes sort of on, on my own. And I had talked to James for a little bit because Mike was in New York City. I talked to my buddy Tom. You know, they had come over to have like a discussion with me and sparked, you know, bounced some ideas off of each other. And eventually started, uh, started working on this document that broke down the film into these sections. At that point, I called Mike. And I said, hey, bro, I need you. I can't do this on my own. You know, he was like, all right, man, rock and roll. So from there, it was about five years that Mike and I worked from coast to coast because I had moved then to California a few months later, um, worked coast to coast, picked it. We split scenes up, cut the rough cut together, and then Mike took on the, uh, the final cut. All right. So um, my question is, uh, when did the film, have you guys had an actual premiere, anything like that? Have you guys any film festivals? So we didn't have a very successful uh, festival run, to be 100% honest. Uh, we did do like a couple of festivals, but we were kind of disappointed. We we spent a fair amount of money placing the film in various things. We got really, we were a finalist um, to be selected for the San Francisco uh, International Film Festival, mm -hmm. which would have been a huge deal. They, they really liked the film. They wrote us. They're like, hey, we, you know, we're trying to find a space for you guys, but we, we just can't do it. But we love the film and we're, you know, we're going to mark you as a finalist. That would have been, you know, huge for us because it's a really, you know, good festival out there. Have you guys tried? For, have you guys tried for Sundance or? Yeah, we we applied to like so many various festivals that you know, and honestly, you know, it it seemed as though based on our like our metrics, you know, you pay to get in, but based on like the the metrics that we're looking at, like they didn't even really watch the film or mm -hmm. they didn't even like get you know quarter way in. Right. A lot of these film festivals, unfortunately, it seems as though, you know, you really need to kind of know somebody. And then the smaller festivals, we didn't really apply to. Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't deter us from trying to basically find the film a home. Yeah. And so after, you know, we premiered it in Chicago, it took us about another year and a half to two years to find distribution. And we had, you know, located a few distributors that, you know, we thought would maybe be a good fit for the film. One of those distributors was Dog Woof. Another one was Gravitas Ventures that we had chosen to go with them. They, they wanted our film. We hadn't contacted Gravitas at the time when we had gotten an email from Dog Woof, which is also uh, another uh, distributor. And they had uh, shown interest and, you know, basically 
said that our film was good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just like, uh, for me, that was like, but uh, they said they, they had no slots for it again. It was like, it was like another one of those, like kind of like a... Thanks, but no thanks. Kind thanks, of. but no thanks. Right. Um, but it also was like, I took that as like a great positive, you know? So we kept going, you know, they've recognized it as a, a film that is worthy of distribution. They just can't do it. It was a very personal message and it was very heartfelt from, you know, the, the agent. And and then all of a sudden, you know, kept our heads up and we had contacted Gravitas Ventures and they wanted the film, you know. And uh, Gravitas is one of uh, my favorite indie distributors of all time. Well, originally, you know, I had thought that they would be a really an amazing fit, you know, before anything else. And I was maybe a little bit nervous, but I'm glad that I did because, you know, the, they wanted the film. They worked with us, you know, they allowed us the time to like kind of like dot our I's and cross our T's. And it's been just a wonderful, just a wonderful relationship. They're they're so professional. It's awesome. And they were able to get our film on these various platforms. That's my next um, question is how, how does it feel to be on Amazon Prime? It feels good. You know, it, what's cool is what's really cool, I'll tell you, is some of the reviews that come out are, are uh are pretty funny uh like so like when i get a when we get a bad review i think it's like it's so funny like we just had one right uh, from heather that that she hit like maybe two weeks ago but this is this is amazing this is it's cool because it actually describes the film perfectly but it's only one star so she says these guys should have stayed in school or at least learned how to navigate properly before taking something of this magnitude on one big movie of confusion and poor planning makes the skaters in this world look stupid and incapable of traveling across the states on a board. And I read that and I was like, yes, Heather, you understand the movie. Like it's, it's, that's exactly what it is. You know, like I, I'm going to use that part to advertise this interview today. So yeah, that's, that's great. Please do. I think I was like, that's, you nailed it. You nailed it. Like I can't be angry at something like that, you know, but uh, Amazon prime, you know, it feels good. It feels like, we're picking up traction every day on the film. More and more people are seeing it. I'm starting to get random uh, messages from various people on Facebook saying, "Hey, I watched the movie. I really liked it." It's popping up on people's feeds. Um, I know, you know, Mike had mentioned the film to someone in New York City in like uh, 7-Eleven, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I've, you know, I've seen an ad for that, or it's popped up on my Amazon, you know, to watch list or whatever." You know, it'll slowly kind of start moving in the direction that we want it to move, as it has been, and pick up more steam as we go. Um, we don't have the big budgets, to, the big, you know, advertising budgets. Um, we have to rely on word of mouth. Yeah, and, gra- very you know, grassroots. Very grassroots, as it has been the whole time, you know. So we're excited, though, man. It's, it's... I have one or two more last questions. Uh, towards the end of the film, you stay desire, never skate long distance again. Here we are all these years later. Has there been any idea maybe of a sequel, maybe go west this time? Funny thing is Tony had this idea, which may manifest or may not. Did, did, but... it, did it come from a dream? It didn't come from a dream. No, Tony wanted to do something called uh, Dead America when we're 60 so that we, uh, when, we, when we're old and gray to go try to do this film and just like survive. All right. So um, obviously, you know, we have, a, we have a platform here. If you have one thing right now that you'd like to say to the entire planet, what would it be right now? I think I'd like to talk a little, just a little to other filmmakers, you know, and just let them know that your film that you're making right now, you know, you're going to have a lot of doubt, a lot of self-doubt. You're going to feel like maybe your film's not good enough, like people aren't going to like it, like it's never going to get done. But I just want you to know that like you should not give up on your dreams, on your, you know, just keep having large ambitions and large goals and keep working toward it. And if other people aren't going to appreciate it, like Heather, 
<laughs> then uh, you know, then it's all good. You know, you made a, you you accomplished something. You know, you learned something. Um, when we make another movie, it's going to be ten times easier than this one was. You know, and so we're so excited for you know COVID to kind of uh, blow over and just start like the the next big project. Mike and I have a couple of ideas that we're kind of like shooting past each other, but yeah, just just keep going on, keep going on your projects. You know. Well, I want to thank our special guest, Arthur, from Shred America. We greatly appreciate you stopping by to chat with us. Fantastic, fun interview. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for uh, having me. All right. You can currently find Shred America on Amazon Prime. Thank you again, and enjoy your weekend, sir. Take care. Well, that brings us to the end of Episode 2 of The Derek Duvall Show. I want to thank my hetero life mate, Money Chris, for stopping by, and a massive thanks to Arthur, of the documentary Shred America. A few housekeeping details before we close out. Friend of the show, Stephen Alexander, is still in dire need of a life-saving kidney. If you or anyone you know is interested in donating, please call the Upstate Transplant Services at 315-464-5413. Steve is truly an amazing man and a future guest, so look forward to him in an upcoming episode. As always, remember to have your pets spayed and neutered and adopt. Don't shop. You may not know this, but secondhand pets make first-class companions, and your new best friend could just be a car ride away. So on behalf of the entire team at the Derek Duvall Show, we say, rest in power, Justice Ginsburg. We have the watch now. Have a great week, planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.